Thanks for joining us today. So glad you found us. And if this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and just say thanks for checking us out. And would ask you to do us a favor by clicking on the digital connection card above or leaving a comment here in the chat about who you are and how we could be praying for you. And if there's any questions we might be able to answer, we'd certainly love to do that. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and are glad to that you've checked in today and would either leave a comment in the chat or click on the digital connection card and just let us know what we might need to know, a prayer request that you might have or something that we need to know here in the building. But together, we're grateful as we begin this fourth Sunday of Lent, as we think about just all that this season is to help us be mindful of, the preparation of the coming of the Passion Week, where we celebrate all that Jesus has done for us by, first of all, offering up his life, and then the hope that comes to us through the celebration of Resurrection Sunday on Easter Sunday. One of the things we want you to be aware of here as we lean into today is this wall of remembrance, the Jericho Wall, that is in formation right now here in our community as we're pulling together the various players, the, the artists, and getting the deed signed and and the survey done and talking about how to get paving and and then raising the monies that are going to be necessary. But I want to share a short video here from a conversation with Paul Lintern, who's a pastor, but also Amanda Nichols. Amanda is also involved in a local church called The Ark, and their primary ministry is to those uh, she and her husband, Joe, who have been caught up in the, the vicious things that addiction brings to people. And she also is on the board of Recovery One. And we had a moment to meet with her at where the Jericho Wall is going to be and just thought you might be encouraged by the words that she has to share. You're director of Project One, and, uh, and I, I'd like you to... Tell me what you think the, the reason that this wall would be helpful. Well, I think it's helpful because we take a day out of the year, usually, typically, and we will get gather together to remember those loved ones that have went on, that we've lost to addiction, and we'll throw a balloon up in the air in remembrance of them. But this wall uh, is a piece of, that is displayed every day to where people can come. It's not a one thing, one time a year thing. It's, it's every day. You know, if they need to come every day to this wall and sit here and um, just have a place that is located, designated to those that have went on, um, it brings some meaning. It brings meaning for those that have went on. Like, you know, there's purpose here. They're not forgotten. Uh, people come here and they're able to talk to other families that have lost loved ones to addiction. And uh, really, it, it just, to me, strengthens that community to be able to grieve together. Now, as you're saying this, we're looking at a wall that has nothing on it, and yet I can see what it can be. I can see the images, and in the same way, a person that that is 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 caught up in addiction, it seems like there's there's just nothing that they get that they have going for them, and yet we can see in them the life and the hope and the and the dreams that were there, and this will honor that. This will also encourage others as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a beautiful thing, Paul, that um, Mansfield would get to house something like this. Um, when we look at statistics, you know, uh, Mansfield, their statistics are pretty high. I can't rattle off the number offhand right now, but 
um, how beautiful it is that we could take something that is so painful and at least bring a display of say, our community, we do care. We care. We want to put something in place to show you that we care. No, it won't bring back your loved ones, but it is a place where you can come and spend time. You can come and talk to other family members that are here. So, yeah, I, I think it's a beautiful thing called it. Mansfield is doing. Thank you. So, again, we're grateful for just what is coming together. And it's taking on a life of its own, which really means it's a God thing because we had some plans uh, as a community, but it's clear that God is leaning in through uh, other people and it's going to take on a whole new perspective. And I hope it'll be an encouragement to those that have suffered through the tragedy of addiction and yet to be reminded there's hope that comes in a relationship with Jesus. And that's certainly our desire as we help this gain traction and make more people aware. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to www.jerichowall.info to learn more about the process and we've put a link up now that if you know someone who has lost their life to addiction and would like to submit their name there's a link there that you can do that also we're in the third week of our series called the circle maker which is a book that mark batterson a pastor in Washington, D.C., wrote a number of years ago. He drew upon an ancient text from a book called the Book of Legends, where we meet a man of God by the name of Hani. And Hani drew a circle and asked God to bless his people with rain, and then even more so for the blessing of just God's favor in so many different things. And for those of us that have been leaning into the 40-day challenge, it's based upon that book called Draw the Circle. This is day 26. And so I hope that even if you've not had time to get started, that you'll lean in today. And there is a link here on our webpage that will take you to the video for each day that is in this 40-day journey. They're about two and a half minutes long and Mark is very creative in how he presents it, but I'd encourage you to check it out. And so you'll find the link here in the worship notes. And today we're going to talk about this idea of persistence. It's interesting, uh, Mark uses in the book a mention of this, uh, what is the standardized math tests and how the Japanese children score higher than their American counterparts. And they do it with more effort than ability. It's interesting, as part of the testing that they've done, they gave first graders a different puzzle to solve. And what they wanted to see is how long it would take them to try solving the puzzle before giving up. Now, what's interesting here is we compare American children to Japanese children. The American children lasted on an average of 9.47 minutes, but the Japanese children lasted 13.9 minutes, which is, which is an increase of 47% longer. And it would make sense then why they score higher on math exams because they had what, what is called the persistent quotient. It's, it's this. It's the Japanese first graders simply tried harder. So what's interesting here is it doesn't matter whether we're talking about athletics or academics or music or math. There are no shortcuts. There are no substitutes. That simply this, the success is a derivative of persistence. And another study that was done, Malcolm Gladwell, in his book Outliers, talks about how they took a class of violin players at the Berlin School of Music, and they divided them into three groups. And they did it based upon their ability levels. And what was interesting, that each student was then asked to calculate 
how many hours that they had spent practicing since they first picked up the violin. The study found that students in the top elite group had practiced an average of 10,000 hours, steadily increasing the number of hours per week as they got older. And the conductors of the study then conducted the same survey with piano players and they found the similar results. People need to expend something like 10,000 hours on a specific skill before they can become masters of it. So what does that mean for us? Well, when we think about this thing of prayer, when we think about the idea of prayer, and as we look at the story of Hani, by what we would call persistent effort, you gotta do it, stick to it is, if you will. And so this idea of persistence is the magic bullet. And I would argue the magic number seems to be 10,000. And so if that's true, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I've got a long ways to go to really become proficient in this thing called prayer. Now, what's interesting, Mark says this in the book. He says, the emerging picture from such studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve a level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert. That's in anything. And so Daniel Levitin, who's a noted neurologist, said that in study after study of composers, basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players, master criminals, and what have you, the number comes up again and again and again. No one has yet found a case in which true world-class expertise was accomplished in less time. It seems that it takes the brain that long to assimilate all that it needs to know to achieve true mastery. And so again, this idea, so we talk about it in the concept of prayer, I'm guessing that prayer isn't any different that prayer is a habit to be cultivated, and it's a discipline that needs to be developed, and it's a skill that has to be practiced. And at the same time, I don't want to uh, basically reduce prayer to something just about the time that's long, but what I think Mark wants us to see and what Hani wants us to see, and I think what God's Word teaches us, is that if we want to achieve the mastery of prayer, it's gonna take a while. It's gonna take probably 10,000 hours. And we know too, right, as we've talked uh, last week about dreaming big, that we know for sure that the idea of the bigger the dream, the idea too, the harder you will have to pray. Jesus tells a story to his disciples out of Luke chapter 18 about a judge that was in a certain city. And he said, who, who never feared God nor cared about people, and yet a widow of the city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. Now, the judge ignored her for a while, but finally the judge said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. That's from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. So again, some context here. We have this persistent widow, as she's called, and she is one of the most amazing pictures in Scripture of what prayer looks like. It shows us that what praying hard looks like, like it's knocking until your knuckles are raw, that like her, you're crying out until your voice is almost lost, I'm sure, that you're pleading until your tears run dry, and that praying hard is praying through, something we talked about in the first week. Not just praying about something, but praying through it, even when we're in the middle of it, to see how God's going to show up. And the idea, too, that if you pray through, God will come through. Now, it's interesting, this phrase, 
she is wearing me out, apparently is, comes from uh, boxing terminology. The idea is praying hard is like going 12 rounds in the ring with God. And so when we think about prayer, and we think about those who are prayer warriors that we may know, that we know that it's about really going around with God, that we know it can be excruciating, uh, it can be exhausting, but that's how great prayer victories are won. And we know, too, that praying hard is more than words. It is blood and sweat and tears. It's about all of us, about all of that we are as a person as we lean into whatever prayers we're offering. But I think really it's this. It's that praying hard is two-dimensional. That It's praying like it depends on God and then working like it depends on you. It's praying until God answers, no matter how long it takes. It's doing whatever it takes to show God that you're serious. So I think, too, desperate times call for desperate measures. And there's no more desperate act than praying hard. And that's when we, uh, as we see with Hani, we throw caution to the wind and we draw a circle on the sand and we end up defying the protocol and we end up dropping to our knees and then we pray for the impossible, where we draw on every ounce of faith that's in us and like Hani did, we, he calls down uh, rain from heaven. And for the persistent widow here in Luke chapter 18, that was the moment for her. Now, again, as we look at this story, we're not quite sure what the injustice was that took place in her life. But we do know the persistent widow wouldn't take no for an answer. And I guess that's what made her a circle maker. Now, we could guess maybe it was because her son was falsely imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit, or maybe the man who molested her daughter was still on the streets. Whatever it was, the judge knew she would never give up. The judge knew she would circle his house until the day she died if she didn't get justice. The judge also knew there was no quit in this persistent widow. Now, let me ask this question. Does the judge know that about you. I mean, when we think about it, the question really is, you know, how desperate are we for the miracle that we need? Are we desperate enough to pray through the night? Or how many times are you willing to circle the promise? Until the day you die? How long and how loud will you knock on the door of opportunity until you knock the door down? So I think here in the life of this church, as we continue to walk in this new season, uh, there's things that we are doing, not just me, but others, to continue to be faithful to what God's called us to be, you online and those that attend here in the building, of being faithful to the tasks that God has called us to be, to love God and to love others with no limits. And so each week, through the generosity of, of time and talent and treasures of many, there's effort that's put into the Pots and Pans ministry, where we're meeting the needs of those in our community who are less fortunate, who need simple things like kitchenware, or the idea of what we provide for the building, the, the idea of the space that we allow uh, to be used by the Girl Scouts and by our friends with uh, Narcotics Anonymous and by Alcoholics Anonymous, the things that they take from our being here to have a safe place to meet. Those are important things. And yet we are still uh, depending on God in his faithfulness, and in the generosity that you all continue to show towards all that this church is supposed to be, your faithfulness of giving of your time and your talents and your treasures. Uh, that's why we continue to track here in our 200th and 
fourth year. It's, it's just crazy. So when we see these stories, and we just know that we're living in a season that is new and, and different for God's people, uh, because of having not been through a, a global pandemic, and, and the idea of what does this look like as we continue to chase the wild goose, as the Celts used to say, about the Holy Spirit, to knowing what God would have us be and do in this community. So it's interesting to think that if you're not desperate, you're not going to take desperate measures. And if you don't pray like it depends upon God, the biggest miracles and the best promises will remain out of our prayer reach. But it's this idea, and that's why we're leaning into this challenge of the draw the circle. There is this idea that if we learn to pray hard and consistently, like the persistent widow, I believe that God will honor our bold prayers because our bold prayers honor him. Now, to be clear, this method of praying that Hani and the persistent widow, it was a bit unorthodox. She should have just waited for her court date. Going to the personal residence of the judge actually crossed a line, a professional line. There probably was a restraining order out against her. But this also reveals something about the nature of who God is. And that's part of what this series is trying to help us see about God's presence in our lives. Because the truth is, as we talked last week, we limit God in our own mind because God does not simply exist in our four dimensions. He exists outside of them. And the truth be told, God could care less about protocol. Because if he did, uh, Jesus would have chosen the Pharisees as his disciples, not uh, the broken men that Jesus tapped to be his followers. What's interesting is that isn't who Jesus honored. Jesus honored the prostitute who crashed a party at the Pharisee's home to anoint his feet. Jesus spent time and honored the tax collector who climbed a tree in his three-piece suit just to get a glimpse of this man named Jesus. Or the story we told a couple weeks ago about the four friends. Jesus honored them you know, who cut through the roof of a house so that they could help their friend. And what's amazing in this particular parable is that Jesus honors the woman who drove a judge crazy because she wouldn't stop knocking. So the thing that runs common in all these stories, this persistence, if you will, is that each of these stories is about a holy desperation that somebody had. The truth be told is that people took desperate measures to get to God and God honored them in that. Nothing has changed that God is still honoring spiritual desperados, if you will, who crash parties and climb trees. God is still honoring those who go against the protocol with their bold prayers. God is still honoring those who pray with a sense of audacity and tenacity. And what's amazing in this story is it almost seems as though this persistent widow is selected as, one might say, the gold standard when it comes to praying hard. She's our model. She is our example. Her unrelenting persistence was the only difference between justice and injustice. This idea of the viability of our prayers really has more to do with intensity than how we pray, our vocabulary. Now, the truth is, this is modeled by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself, who has, according to Scripture, been intensely and unceasingly interceding for us our entire life. I don't know about you, but I'm more than blown away by this idea that long before uh, we woke up this morning, you and I, 
and long after we go to sleep tonight, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is circling us, each of us as human beings, with songs of deliverance, and that he's been circling us each individually since the day we were conceived, and he will circle you and me until the day you die. Paul says to us in Romans chapter 8, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. That's Romans 8.26. So I want to be clear. One of the things that I'm still learning is this idea that God isn't just for you in some passive sense. That this idea that God is for us, for you and for me, in the most active sense that we can get our mind around. That the Holy Spirit is praying hard for you and praying hard for me. And that when we lean into this understanding, there is sort of a sinking up of all that God wants to offer us that begins to happen when we tag team with God and we do the same thing. We lean in and pray consistently for all that he would have for us. Now, in the book, Mark talks about how he uh, laid hands on the auto shop there in Washington, D.C., the praying that God would give that particular piece of property that comes to be part of National Community Church's ministry there in the nation's capital. And so it's those things, I'll be honest, they stretch me because I've not had that happen to me, but it may be that I'm not persistent yet enough in my faith for the things that I'm drawing a circle around and the things I'm praying for. Now, what's interesting is there is a story that is told a few centuries before the drought that threatened Hani's uh, generation, uh, that Israel had gone through a drought before. And this is a story that you may or may not know. So for three long years, there was no puddle jumping in Israel. And then the Lord promised the prophet Elijah he would send rain. But like every promise, Elijah still had to circle via being persistent in prayer. And so the story is told here in Scripture that Elijah climbs to the top of Mount Carmel. He falls on his face and he prayed for rain. Six times he told his servant to look towards the sea, but there was no sign of rain. And that is when most of us give up. But just like the story of the Jericho Wall, right? Six days consistently they walked around. It wasn't until the seventh day so for us, too, if we stop praying because we can't see any tangible difference with our natural eyes, then we're, we're not going to see God show up. Because, you see, we, we allow our circumstances in life to get between us and God instead of putting God between us and our circumstances. Let me say that again. We allow our circumstances to get between God and us instead of putting God between us and our circumstances, even as we talked about last week. The question that God asked Moses, do we believe that God's going to show up? Do we believe that he has the power to intercede for us? Again, how big is our God? And so like Hani, who said, I will not move from here, Elijah the prophet held his holy ground and he stood on the promise that God had given him. So I think Elijah would have prayed 10,000 times if that is what it took, because that's the kind of faith he had. But something happened between his sixth and seventh prayer. There was a subtle shift, if you will, in the atmospheric pressure. And after the seventh circle, 
Elijah's nearsighted servant strained his eyes, and he looked as hard as he could, and he saw on the far horizon a small cloud the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. So I think what I'm learning in this moment is I think about the walls of Jericho, or I think about the story with Elijah. It's almost the the obvious question that what if Elijah had quit praying after the sixth circle? The obvious answer is that he would have defaulted on the promise and he would have ended up forfeiting the miracle that God was about to do. But that's not what happened. Elijah prayed through and the reality is that God came through. This story comes to us out of the book of First Kings and it says there, and soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. And then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. That's 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 45 and 46. I'll admit in this series on prayer, I'm being stretched because I know what my dreams are. I know what my hopes are. And yet I'm standing in the circle wondering, God, how are you going to show up? Because I think for many of us, it's really easy to give up on the dreams. It's easy for us to give up on the miracles and even to give up the promises that God has made. And then what happens, because life comes at us, is we end up losing heart and we lose our patience and we lose even our faith. And I want to suggest that maybe that's why so many churches are struggling right now, because of just how we all came through the pandemic and how many of us are still trying to figure out what this all means and how many of us need margin in our, our psychological lives, if you will, but just because of all that we've been through, because we have all experienced a trauma at a level that's never really been understood in our time. And so what ends up happening here is it's like a, a slow leak, and we don't realize it's taking place until our prayer life gets uh, flat, like a flat tire. So let me ask a question. It seems like this series is filled with lots of questions. Is there some dream that God wants to resurrect in your life. I know there's a couple in my mind that I think that he's bringing in front of me. Or is there maybe a promise that you need to reclaim? Or maybe even there's some kind of miracle that you need to start believing in again. And for many of us, the problem is that we give up too soon because, well, the evil one has a heyday with us to remind us, at least in his mind, that uh, you know, God really isn't for us. And sometimes I think it's this idea of shame and guilt. That somehow we've failed God or somehow like we've failed because God doesn't answer our prayer. Well, we need to be reminded that that's not failure. The only way that we can fail is if we stop praying. So again, back to the story as we started today, this idea of the persistent nature of what needs to happen to become experts in prayer. I don't know how many hours you've got in, but I know I'm not really close to 10,000. And I guess that's what I need to lean into. And what's interesting in the story of Elijah, so even after three years of drought, even after Elijah leans into a really difficult season of, of depression, Elijah believed that God could send the rain, even in those moments. I can't help but wonder if Hani the circle maker was inspired by the story of Elijah having prayed for rain seven times. I wonder too if Israel's original rainmaker was Hani's childhood hero, right? And I wonder if it was Hani's persistence in prayer 
that was connected to that miracle. So if God did it for Elijah, the truth is, and why we look at these stories, is to be reminded that he can do it for me. He can do it for you. And when we think about this story, is that the miracle we talked about last week of the reigning quail, I'm guessing, too, that Hani knew that he could send uh, the thunderstorm just like he sent the quail storm. And so, again, one, one thing is really certain, that the prayers that we pray, the most powerful ones, are linked to the promises of God. That when we know we are praying the promises of God, we can pray with a certain sense of what might be called holy confidence. And it's in those moments that it's the difference between praying on thin ice and praying on solid ground, the firm foundation, if you will, that we have as God's people. And we've talked about that before in other series about who we are as his children. It is really this difference between praying tentatively and, and praying with tenacity. We know that we don't have to second guess ourselves because we know that God wants us to lean into his promises that are true for us. There's an old adage that says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But maybe as we look at Mark's book here, Draw the Circle, that maybe what we ought to say is God said it, I circled it, and that settles it. And the truth is for us, uh, as we lean into celebrating the Passion Week and the death of Jesus on the cross on our behalf and then his resurrection on Easter Sunday, that when he was on the cross and said those words, it is finished, that settled everything. It wasn't just the final installment of our sin debt. It was also the down payment, if you will, on all the promises that he's made true for us. Now, Paul reminds us, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now back to the book of Joshua again. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses, and I will not fail you or abandon you. Those are verses 3 through 5 from chapter 1. Now, we have to say that this promise was originally given to Moses, and then it was transferred to Joshua, and then you know what? It's transferred to us because of what Christ has done. Now, we have to be careful that we just don't blindly claim promises that don't belong to us. The truth is there are some 3,000 promises in God's Word, and so by virtue of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for you and for me, every one of those promises belongs to us. Every one of them has your name on it, has my name on it. So the question again, as we think about these things, is that how many of them have we circled? So Mark suggests in the book a way that could revolutionize the way that you pray and the way that you read the Bible. He says, we often view prayer and scripture reading as two distinct spiritual disciplines without much overlap. What if it was supposed to be put together? What if reading became a form of praying and praying became a form of reading? Now, one of the reasons why we don't pray through is because we run out of things to say. Our lack of persistence is really a lack of conversation pieces. It's a, like an awkward conversation. We don't know what to say. 
Or it's like a conversation that's on its last leg. We run out of the things to talk about. That's when our prayers turn into a bunch of overused and misapplied cliches. So instead of praying hard about a big dream, we're left with a lot of small talk. And so our prayers are as meaningless as a conversation about the weather. So Mark suggests here a model, and I'd like for us to consider it now, that we pray through the Bible. And so even this idea of what do you need to circle? So what I'm going to suggest here is it's changing the way you read the Bible. In fact, the Bible wasn't meant to be read through, cover to cover. The Bible is meant to be prayed through. And if you pray through it, you'll never run out of promises to circle. The truth is, and I like this statement, Mark says the Bible is a promise book and a prayer book. And while reading is reactive, prayer is proactive. Reading is the way you get through the Bible. Prayer is the way that you get the Bible through you. And so as you pray, the Holy Spirit can quicken you in understanding certain promises in your spirit, in your story. It's very difficult to predict what and when and where and how, but over time, as you you pray these promises, these promises of God will become your promises. And then you'll need to circle those promises, maybe both figuratively and literally. I don't know about you, but I know when I read my scripture, I have a pen close by so I can underline and highlight even and circle. So if we think about the persistence of the widow, if we think about the persistence of Elijah as he prayed that seventh time and then saw the rain cloud appear, I pray that we can pray with the same kind of persistence. And so let's pray together now. God, we do pray that you would help us Uh, become persistent in our prayers. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the promises that you make sure, and we're grateful, Jesus, for the life that you've given us. And Holy Spirit, we just pray as we lean into this day that we pray with a fervency and with a consistency and even with an expectation and that you would pray for us and with us. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.